Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Today, we'll be talking about an increase in reported overdoses in Springfield, Missouri the past couple of days, uh, why I've been frustrated on a couple of different levels, some harm reduction tips, as well as look at why harm reduction is compassionate, humane, and so much more. So first, uh, Man, we have seen, we saw more overdoses in Springfield in a two-day period than we normally see in a month. We, it sounds like we got a batch of uh, fentanyl-laced heroin, and there was also uh, methamphetamine that had fentanyl in it that was circulating through Springfield. So for those of you who don't know, um, whenever we use opioids, they basically have just a couple jobs. Once they get on the other side of the blood-brain barrier, uh, the first job, one of the jobs they have is to ease pain, which is why, of course, doctors give it to us. The second job that it has is to act as a euphoric, which is why some people misuse it. It makes us feel good. And the third thing it does is depress the respiratory system. So literally, once it binds to the mu, the delta, the mood, the delta, and the kappa receptors, it literally depresses your respiratory system or slows down, stops your breathing. That's really... Uh, important to know, especially when we have things like fentanyl that are flo- that's floating around. So morphine, uh, they generally use what they call like a standard morphine unit. It's an MMU, but basically heroin is twice as strong as morphine and fentanyl is 50 times stronger than heroin or hundred times stronger than morphine. And that doesn't mean that uh, fentanyl is going to make you 50 times higher. It's, you're not going to feel 50 times more euphoria from fentanyl than you will from Heroin. You're not going to uh, have your pain eased 50 times better um, from fentanyl than you do from morphine. Uh, I mean, from heroin. Unfortunately, what's going to happen is it is going to depress your respiratory system 50 times faster. Generally, when we have somebody who uses uh, heroin, it takes somewhere between five and 15 minutes after they inject before they actually overdose. With fentanyl, we literally, I mean, they find people that still have a syringe in their arm half done. So they don't even complete the entire syringe before they lose their ability to uh, breathe. So this is a huge issue. Um, And what's really uh, terrifying is whenever you have people who don't use opioids at all. So, you know, I think of uh, your methamphetamine users, your cocaine users. I think this is also uh, really scary for You know, I went to college with a bunch of weekend warriors. I went to college with a bunch of frat kids and sorority girls that would not touch drugs. But you know what? If they were at a party and they were drinking some beers on the weekend and somebody broke out some cocaine, they might blow a line or two. If there is any like incidental uh, fentanyl that's in the cocaine that they're doing, they're opioid naive. So it's going to make it that much easier for them to have a respiratory depression and die. So that's what's really scary, you know, is these people that are opioid naive. So that tends to be why we saw this huge influx. Um, Hopefully we can change some of that. Uh, I know we've done a whole lot with Narcan. Um, Honestly, I have not given out this much Narcan in a 72-hour period ever. 
honestly. Um, in fact, I'm really close to being out, but fortunately, I know I have more coming in um, through the grants. Uh, we just got through doing a big fundraiser, and we're going to use some of that money from the fundraiser. Um, actually, the majority of the money from the fundraiser, we got enough to uh, order 500 fentanyl test strips. So sometime at the beginning of this week, we should be getting in fentanyl test strips from Dance Safe. And this is kind of where we're going to talk about harm reduction, enabling, and a few of those things. So um, first off, I just want to get some of my frustrations out of the way, uh, especially when it comes to harm reduction. Uh, when I'm speaking to people in recovery, I say dead people never get sober. Dead people never find recovery. So honestly, if you say the newcomer is the most important person there and you don't care whether or not that person lives long enough to make it inside the rooms, then you're a jackal. I'm sorry, I have a huge issue with that. Um, I, I cannot believe that we have people that struggled to make it and fought to make it into sobriety that will now sit down and shout out other people or put down things that we're doing to try to help people stay alive long enough to find sobriety. Uh, Narcan doesn't enable drug use, Narcan enables breathing. And I'm sick and tired of explaining that to people. It's really, really frustrating. Uh, let's see. Uh, Christians. Oh, my gosh. I, I cannot believe I live in a conservative Christian community. And yet when I read the comments that are left on uh, the news stories about overdoses, I'm disgusted. I have never seen so little compassion in my entire life. And what's sad is a lot of these people, you know, and I say this as a Christian, I say this as somebody who found their recovery through Christ, but it disgusts me that there's people sitting in church pews that are sitting there trying to minimize their own sin by shouting out somebody else's sin. When you say things like this is natural selection or, you know, uh, Darwinism at its, at, at its finest, or we should let these people die. What is wrong with you? Honestly, if you, this is to all my Christians out there. If you truly care about somebody's salvation, we should want them to stay alive long enough, right? Because you can't redeem a dead person's soul. We should want them to stay alive long enough for the Holy Spirit to work on them and in them. And, and that can't happen if they're dead. So stop sitting there because you, you take five trips through uh, the Golden Corral buffet line or because you're sitting there cheating on your wife or cheating on your taxes. Stop sitting there and shouting out somebody else's sin because they use substances to make yourself feel better. Tired of it. And I'm really tired of the lack of education. You know what? This is not an argument. I don't care whether you believe addiction is a disease or not. It's been recognized since the 50s by the American Medical Association, by the American uh, Society of Addiction Medicine, by the American Psychological Association, by the World Health Organization. I don't care. And even if you don't believe that it's a disease, you know what? It killed almost 70,000 people last year. And if we throw in alcohol, then we're looking at 150,000 people. And if we throw out in cigarettes, then we're looking at, what, 500,000 people? You know what? People, does it start with a choice? Yes. For a lot of people, does type 2 diabetes start with a choice? Yes. But yet we're not sitting there shouting out at people who have type 2 diabetes or people that have cancer or cardiovascular disease caused by sedentary lifestyle or, or choices that they've made. Choices can lead to disease, period. There's no argument on that. 
So I don't see why you want to show off your ignorance in front of everybody on social media when you comment on, on an article on KY3 or the newsleader or Color 10 or whatever. You know what? If you want to be ignorant, keep it to yourself. There's parents out there that are burying their kids, and the last thing they need to see is you sitting there going, well, you know what? Maybe they should not use heroin. Hey, you know what? That's what they get for using drugs. You know what? This is Darwinism. Show a little compassion for the people out there that are losing the people that they love and care about. You know, I, oh my God, it disgusts me. I, I can't even begin to express, you know, and my wife warns me. Literally, she warned me Thursday. She's like, David, don't read the comments. And what do I do? Like an idiot, I traipse down the rabbit hole and I see just the, the, the ignorance and the lack of compassion that exists in the community I live in. And it's, it disgusts me. But at the same time, you know what? I saw so many people doing the right thing. I saw so many people stepping up to the plate. You know, uh, not to mention, you know, yes, I'm very, very happy that we got uh, enough money to send off for the fentanyl test strips. That's this community. That's people stepping forward. I can't tell you how many people came by and got Narcan so that they could give it to their neighbor um, who has a kid who's actively using. You know, there's so many different uh, <laughs> There's so many people that are stepping up. So I don't want to sit there and slam people and be like, all Christians suck and all people in recovery suck and everybody in my community sucks. It's not that. It just, it hurts me to read that. And if it hurts me, I can't imagine how much it hurts the person that just lost somebody they care about. You know, um, I had a mom this week, uh, literally her 16-year-old daughter was thrown unconscious and blew into her front yard and a car took off. Imagine being that mom in the ICU with your daughter. Her daughter finally started breathing on her own over 48 hours later. Imagine sitting there wondering whether or not your daughter's ever going to breathe on her own again, whether or not she's going to come out of a coma and, and reading somebody saying, you know what, these people deserve what they get. A 16-year-old kid. Come on, people, please. You know, we've got to stick together. We've got to get educated. Right. So I am big on harm reduction. I already said why. Right. Dead people never find recovery. Uh, if you truly care about somebody's salvation, you can't redeem a dead person's soul. So it's important to keep people alive long enough for the Holy Spirit to work on them. Whatever reason you need to understand that harm reduction is just about keeping people healthy and alive. Right. When I tell somebody uh, when I give somebody tips on how to use safer, that doesn't mean that I want them to use drugs for the rest of their life. It means that I want them to live. It means that I care about them. It means that they have value. You know, in social work, they have the, the term un unconditional positive regard, which basically means it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You still have value because, because you exist, because you breathe, because you live, because you're, you're a finite being, right? So I, I'm going to give some harm reduction tips, and I hope that people listen to those. And if you don't believe in harm reduction, please do a little research. You know, you'll see uh, like the U.S. Surgeon General's report on substance use disorders when it comes to syringe access. It says that communities that have a syringe access get people into treatment three to five times faster than communities that don't because you go to a place where they treat you as a person. As Chad Sabora says, it's not about the syringe. It's about the human connection that's made there, right? So, so I'm going to run through these really quick. For starters, get Narcan, get Narcan trained, learn about rescue breathing, period. Biggest thing you can do. If you live in Springfield, um, you can always stop by the Springfield Recovery Community Center. 
Uh, right now, we have partnered with Preferred Family Healthcare because of the huge influx of overdoses we've had. And they have had somebody there this weekend, 24-7, that's been able to give Narcan to anybody that comes through the doors. Uh, the first Friday of every month at 6 p.m. at Springfield Recovery Community Center, we do a full uh, a full uh, Narcan training. And that includes um, an opioid 101. It includes looking at current bills and laws that have been passed uh, to enable life and to enable us to give out Narcan and for the Good Samaritan bill and those types of things. It also looks at some of the trends in overdoses. So first Friday of every month at 6 p.m. if you're here in Springfield, Missouri. Um, if you're in St. Louis, you can always go to Mo Network. I know Mo Network does it. Uh, they also have a uh, uh, the DBA, um, the Empowerment Center also has it in Kansas City, Bobby Joe Reed. Uh, otherwise, contact the Department of Mental Health. Contact, you know, wherever you live, contact the health center. See uh, see if there is a recovery community center somewhere around wherever you live and, and reach out and figure out how you can get in, how you can get trained and how you can get plugged in. Right. Because this is an important thing. This is just as important as CPR, in my opinion. The difference is I have been to over 70 funerals in the last three years, and one of them was natural causes. One of them, CPR, might have helped. Everybody else was either somebody that could have benefited from Narcan, they might have uh, OD'd from a different substance, or it was a uh, suicide or a homicide. You know, right now we're in the middle of a huge syndemic, so it doesn't surprise me that we're seeing these huge influxes of overdoses. You know, honestly, what a syndemic says is we have different things that are driving uh a disease. So basically we have things like what? Uh, gen generational poverty, institutional racism, uh, untreated uh, mental health disorders, uh, trauma. You know, if you look at the ACEs scores, you can definitely see that there's a causal link between uh, high ACEs scores and the development of substance use disorders when people get older. So we've got all these things that are going on and we're not teaching kids coping skills. We're not teaching kids how to self-regulate through things like mindfulness and meditation. And because of all that, we're seeing a huge increase in what they call uh, deaths of despair, which would be uh, drug poisoning, alcohol poisoning and suicides. So it doesn't surprise me that we can continue to see that trend, uh, that trending upwards. And I think we're going to continue to see it trending upwards until we really step up and work to make our communities healthier and to uh, promote uh, intentional dialogue, um, educate people and, uh, man, maybe reduce some of the stigma out there. So back to harm reduction. Basically, if I'm talking to somebody that is actively using or somebody that cares about somebody that's actively using, uh, I, I will always say something like, uh, first I'll talk to them about Narcan rescue breathing, get them trained on that. And I'll say, listen, I'm going to give you a couple tips. I want you to share with the people you care about. You know, I still have a family member that's actively using, and when I see this person, I see him three times a year, I share this with them every time I see him, right? So first thing I'm going to tell you is don't ever use by yourself because you can't give Narcan to yourself. It's not like, oh my gosh, I think I'm overdosing. If somebody who's overdosed three times, all I remember is thinking, oh my gosh, I I'm so high, and then I woke up in withdrawals in a hospital, right? So... You cannot give Narcan to yourself, so don't ever use it alone. Number two, don't ever use behind a locked door because or a closed door because somebody may not find you until it's too late. Number three, stagger your use, which is going to be easy to do because you never use alone. So what I mean by stagger your use is if you're with somebody, let that person use, pull out a phone, set a timer for 15 minutes, and wait 15 minutes before you use. 
And I know that that sounds insane to you, but I really want you to listen to what I'm saying. You know, several years ago, I bumped into a, a mom when I was in uh, D.C., and she had had 20-year-old twins. And her boys had come over for their birthday. And she had baked them a chocolate cake. And when she went to the freezer, she was like, hey, guys, I'm out of ice cream. I'm going to run to the store. I'll be right back. She ran to the store to get ice cream. And when she came back, she uh, found both of her sons dead on the couch. If they would have staggered their use, one of them could have called 911. If they would have staggered their use, one of them could have rescue breathed if they knew how. If they would have staggered their use, one of them could have used Narcan if they would have had it. But they didn't. They used together, and that mom lost her only two kids on their 20th birthday. Stagger your use. Don't be an idiot. You know. Also, don't think that I'm better than this. I'm stronger than this. I have a better tolerance than this. Um, because fentanyl and carfentanil, acetylfentanil, all those other analogs, they will kill you. I don't care who you are, how long you've been using, you will die if you get a hold of something that has too much of this in it. In fact, for some of you, you're going to die if you get a hold of something that has any of it in it. So don't use alone. Don't use behind a locked door. Stagger your use. If you get in a new batch, give yourself a taste. You can always go back and do more. You can never go back and do less. If you haven't used in three to five days and you decide that, and you have a recurrence of use, ease your way back in because you start to lose tolerance after three to five days. So what that means is if I go to rehab and two weeks later when I get out, I use the same amount that I used when I went in, there's a much higher probability that I can die. Right? So remember those. Also, uh, man, only use around people that you feel safe with. Uh, rotate injection sites so we can cut down on sepsis and other bloodborne infections. Don't share needles. Don't reuse syringes. And I'm not saying this because I want people to use. I'm saying this because I want people to live. You know, um, over the course of my life, I used for 25 years. Uh, over the course of my life, I've died eight different times. And today I am here with an amazing wife. I have two beautiful kids. I have a nonprofit that helps other people in the community. I have people that work for me, employees that support their families off the money that they get paid working for me. Um, and, and I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because that's what I do in recovery. There's 23 and a half million people in the United States in recovery. Imagine all the positive things they're doing. And imagine if we were to remove that because they were met with stigma or because people believe that you shouldn't use Narcan more than, you know, maybe the first time. But after that, they deserve what they get. Right. I'm glad I didn't get what I deserve. Honestly, I think all of us are probably pretty fortunate that we don't get what we deserve, because if we got what we deserved, None of us would probably be sitting here watching something on a cell phone paying for internet and Wi-Fi, right? We'd probably all be broke uh, underneath a prison instead of inside of a prison because of all the different things we've done. You know, it's so easy to sit there and judge somebody else on their life choices. But I ask you, how many times have you gotten behind the wheel of a car where if you would have got pulled over, you would have blown a point one? A point one five, a point two. How many times have you drank and drove and got fortunate and got away with it? If you would have got caught for every single one of those times, you would probably be in prison for the rest of your life. Honestly, I see people on here that don't use drugs, but as I see them, I'm like, oh yeah, I used to go to cake parties with that person all the freaking time back when we were kids. You know what? It's really easy for me to sit there and look at somebody else's choices 
and minimize my own by looking at theirs. But the truth is wrong is wrong. The truth is maybe I made those choices and I never developed a substance use disorder and it was easy for me to quit. So now I look at everybody else and think everybody else should be able to quit just because I did. You know what? It doesn't always work out that way. So that's a little discussion about harm reduction. That is uh, why we've had all the overdoses, why I'm really frustrated. People just just get educated. Please um, don't slam people. Uh, go through the comments. But if you want to leave something, you know, do what I do with my wife. Honestly, sometimes I get so disgusted. I'm sitting there. I'm getting ready to comment something on Facebook. And I look at my wife and I say, hey, honey, I'm going to read this to you. Do you think I should post it? And she will look at me and say, David, if you need to read it to me and ask, you probably just need to erase it, don't you? To which I go, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. I probably do need to just erase it. So honestly, think before you speak. Realize that there are parents out there who have kids in the hospital right now that are going to read those comments. And you're sitting there being a douche canoe. Um talking about how these people deserve to die or, uh, you know what, these people don't deserve uh, care. Uh, to answer a couple comments that I've read recently on some of the things I've posted, somebody was like, why should people get free Narcan? Yeah, uh, people don't get free uh, treatment for cancer. For starters, uh, Narcan isn't treatment. Treatment is going to a clinical place that uses evidence-based practices and costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Narcan is a life-saving tool no different than like an AED, right? Clear. It's kind of like paddles. Honestly, it's something that brings somebody back to life. Second, as somebody who's been Narcan back to life three times, I wish I would have known it was free because I would have uh, disputed the bills that I got back from the hospital. I paid a buttload of money for the Narcan that was used to bring me back to life. So Narcan is not free. For those people who are like, it's not fair that Narcan's free, why isn't insulin free? Okay, a couple things. Number one, you were right. Insulin costs way too much freaking money, and that is a problem too. But just because we have a two problems doesn't mean that we should minimize one of them or fight against each other. The truth is they're both horrific problems. The truth is we have pharma that is gouging us left and right on a lot of medications. The truth is medications that people are paying thousands of dollars a month for sells in third world countries for pennies on the dollar. So if they can sell it over there for that cheap, they could probably do it here too. But that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get into a huge pharma, pharma, pharma thing. But the truth is it's not a us or them. Narcan can be crazy expensive. It costs pennies to make, right? And what I tell people is, hey, I do fundraisers and outreach and all kinds of different things to get the Narcan that we give out. If you have a huge issue with insulin costing so much, go do some fundraisers. Raise that money and do what we do. Be passionate about it. Don't sit there and shoot somebody else for what they're doing. Instead, say, you know what? I love what you're doing. How do you do it? Because I want to do it for this. You're doing it for X. I want to do it for Y right? Maybe we could even partner together. Who knows? So I really don't think, like I said, that this is a, a, a huge issue or at least not as huge as it should be. And I think I've already talked about the choice thing, right? Nobody chooses. Uh, when I first started uh, using drugs when I was 12, I didn't choose to be an addict. 
I had, man, my first memories being molested by a babysitter at three. I grew up in a house where my dad had a drinking problem. My mom left my dad in fifth grade. I lived with my grandpa who would beat me and then call into school and say he's going to help me in the fields this week and wait until all the cuts and bruises had healed up before he sent me back to school. The first time I used the summer before seventh grade, it numbed me and helped me escape all that. I never had a drug problem. I had a drug solution. Unaddressed trauma was my problem, right? So I didn't choose to be an addict. I chose to numb and escape the trauma. I chose to try to not, not sit there and get uh, constantly uh, just the constant PTSD and the constant images and the constant pain in my head. I used to get away from that. And when negative consequences finally kicked in and I tried to stop, then I went into withdrawals. So once again, it, nobody chooses to be an addict. Right. I, I know people that love their kids, love their kids more than anything, and yet have signed over rights because they couldn't stop using drugs. You know, this is something it's a huge problem. If you don't think that stopping something that's dependent is a huge problem, give up sugar and caffeine for a month. Give it up for 30 days and then come back and talk to me. Right. Tons of you are dependent on things right now, whether it's caffeine or sugar, and yet you're going to sit there and look at somebody else's dependence and, and, and put them down and, and horrify their loved ones and family members and friends. So anyway, I think I, I have gone on and on enough about that. So I guess I will say, uh, does anybody have any questions? Anybody have any comments? You know, I, I know I've kind of gone on a rant today, and I, it feels really good to be back on a rant, honestly. Um, I hate that I have to do it because of what's been happening, but the truth is I am sick and tired of going to funerals. I'm sick and tired of looking at parents either at an ER, the ICU or over a casket trying to explain to them why the system failed their kids, you know, and unfortunately we've got a bunch of, uh, I've seen a bunch of people talking about recently. We've got a bunch of body brokers out there that instead of putting people in the best evidence-based treatment for them and doing assessments and trying to figure out where they go are just stacking bodies because they get paid as advertising and marketing people for a, a treatment facility. So um, to you people that do that and aren't sitting there trying to put people where they fit best, screw you too. Tired of you people. I'm tired of just about everybody that is sitting there profiteering off of other people's um, depression and profiteering off of other people's just misery. It, it, it's horrific. So, oh my gosh, I think I'm done. Maybe. I'm going to give a minute for questions. Otherwise, I just want to say thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Please, man, show some compassion. Show some love. Uh, if you have a recovery community center in your community um, and you want to get more or, you, you know, uh, go volunteer. Go get plugged in. Uh, maybe it's a church outreach. Uh, maybe it's a recovery ministry. Maybe it's an Alano club. But you know what? There are places out there. Go get plugged in and go help them because we need all the help we can possibly get, right? Especially whenever we have a crisis like we had over the past weekend here in Springfield, Missouri, when we have more overdose, overdose uh, 911 calls in uh, a 24-hour period than we do in most months. And unfortunately, there's a lot of cities that have that every single day. What really scares me is the thought that we may be heading in that direction ourselves. Because the last thing that I want to do is for us to be a uh, for us to be a St. Louis. You know, St. Louis is only a couple times bigger than Springfield. 
Um, they had over a thousand people die from overdoses last year. So I, I, we've got to come together. And if you're in St. Louis, I know that they're doing a lot of good work there to support them. Go volunteer. Go talk to Chad. Um, you know, uh, with uh, Mo Network. Go talk to Sarah at the Empowerment Center. You know, get plugged in somewhere. There's tons of great ministries out there. Uh, plug into the Missouri Recovery Network. Uh, plug into the uh, the Missouri uh, to to uh, Mo Chris Missouri Co- Coalition for Recovery Support Providers. Uh, if you're going to refer people to a recovery house, make sure it's NARS certified. If you don't have NARS certified houses in your state, figure out how to get NARS certification so that all your recovery residences have to at least meet a uh, minimum standard. You know, um, I'm sick and tired of people getting subpar conditions. I am sick and tired of people getting stacked up because they have insurance or private pay into places that honestly are just charging them $30,000, $40,000 a year, I mean a month, to give them crap services. You know, uh, look in diversion programs. You know, there's multiple pathways to recovery. Support them all. Don't sit there and think that just because you found recovery, I found recovery through Christ. I don't walk up there. All you got to do is pray. And when people don't make it, I say, well, you know, I mean, they weren't going to church enough and they weren't reading the Bible enough. I mean, if they'd have been following what Jesus told them to. And yet I hear people in faith-based recovery tell other people that. Same thing with 12 steps. I hear people all the time with 12 steps. Well, you know, I mean, meeting makers make it. Keep coming back. Um, Not everybody's going to find recovery through the 12 steps. Bill W. said that many, many, many years ago. You know, he was very, very, very huge on that. He said, you know what? We have an amazing program that's going to help a lot of people, but we don't have all the answers for all the people. I don't know why, but some people do not find recovery through our program. They find it through other means, and that's perfectly okay. So stop with your uh, program of humility um, trying to push that yours is the only way onto people. And I don't care if you're faith-based, 12-step, smart recovery, all recovery. Realize that there's multiple programs out there. You know, for somebody, it might be going fishing. That might be their recovery thing. I have absolutely no idea what's going to work for people. But anyway, I've ranted enough. I haven't really seen questions. Um, Hi to everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, Please, all I can say is reach out. Tomorrow, every single day, try to reach out to one person that you haven't talked to in a while. Tell them why they're amazing and why you care about them. Right? You can do it on Facebook. Just direct message one of your friends. You have 2,500 friends and you know 13 of them. So that means you only have to reach out to 13 of them. Reach out to one of those people every single day and say, hey, you know what? I care about you and here's why. Hey, I just wanted to make sure you're doing okay. Is there anything you need? Because there's a lot of hurting people out there right now. And the phone weighs 10 million pounds whenever you're stuck in depression or in the middle of a bout of anxiety. So why don't we reach out to them instead of expecting them to reach out to us? I love you all. I hope you all have an amazing week. If you need anything and you're in Springfield, Missouri, Southwest Missouri, please contact the Springfield Recovery Community Center, 417-368-0852. Yeah, that's all I got. You all have an amazing night, and um, I want you to know that if you had a rough time, please get a hold of me. Uh, I will pray for you. I will do whatever I can. You know, even though I know sometimes prayer doesn't seem like enough, but I tell you what, I covet prayers. I covet juju and warm wishes and and positive vibes and anything anybody possibly wants to throw at me. By all means, if it's positive, throw away. If it's negative, keep it to yourself. Have a great night, guys. 
In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your french fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artists. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network.